0: And right now, my wife and I, Bridget, we are helping out in the church in, um, in Mitchell's Plain. So since the beginning of March, we've been helping out at the church, uh, a struggling church in Mitchell's Plain. So we pull through every Sunday morning to Mitchell's Plain. And that's perhaps why some of you that are, are not here for such a very long time may not recognize me. Now, even saying that, let me also say something else. My wife said to me this morning, no jokes, so I'm listening to the to hearing this morning. There's no jokes this morning, so, but also saying this, I want to say to, uh, to, uh, to Brett and even to, um, to Martin, and they spoke about, about crying this week and maybe the past two weeks, I've been very tearful, and it's not so much because I'm bemoaning my situation, but it's just that God has been dealing with me. So today I do sense that God wants to deal with people because the Lord showed me that there are so many people who are going through difficult times. So many people have so many questions, have so many issues that they don't have answers to and God wants to deal with that this morning. So my topic this morning is running the race of faith. That's our topic this morning. And we're going to be speaking about, so it's not going to be a preach. I want it to be a conversation. Although I'm the one doing the conversing, I want you to, as you listen, that you will also in your mind be responding to God and speaking to God and just speaking about your situation. Because I promise you, He knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows every single person. Martin read about, that um, we mustn't be anxious about anything, because if God takes care of the sparrows, he definitely takes care of you. God knows every hair on your head. You obviously have got more than I've got on my head. You know, in order for God to know how many hairs I have on my head, he has to come close to me, or I have to come close to him, so that he can inspect my scalp, and God knows he is such an intimate God, I want to say to you this morning, that he knows Every little issue that you are going through this morning, and you know something just quickly a personal uh, thing, Bridget and I have been going through a struggle for quite a long time. I'm not going to divulge exactly what the struggle is, but we've been struggling in and in, in our um, it's not a, a marital struggling struggle or anything like that, but we've been going through just a personal struggle for a long time. and you know what for this past two months, which has quite, been quite humbling to us. We've been receiving uh, the gift of the pantry. We've been getting groceries, which has been seriously humbling to us as a family. But we have to, to learn how to actually receive what God has been giving to us in this respect. Like all of you guys that have been sowing into the pantry, we've been the recipients of that. And I just want to say to you this morning, you know, as I said, the, the, uh, the title of my message is Running the Race of Faith. Now, you know, in all of our struggles, in all of and this, this race that we are in, in all of that, I look across the congregation this morning, and I can see that there's nobody here. I look across you, and I see there's nobody here that's going to give up on this race of faith, but there are many, I think, that's feeling like, you know, I want to just give up on the fight. I'm not going to give up on the faith, but you know what? I am so tired of the struggle. I'm so tired of this issue that I just feel like it's almost better just to lie down. It's almost better just to give up on the fight because I've been fighting for so long. I've been contending for so long, and maybe it's just like, God, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on the faith, but God, you know me. I've been running, and I'm tired, and it feels like I'm going to give up on the ...on the fight. I don't have fight left in me. I just don't have the... ...but I want to encourage you this morning that God is here, that the Spirit of God is here... ...and is here to strengthen you in this race, your race of faith. You know, in running a marathon, often when you... ...if you run a marathon, marathon runners will tell you we eat a wall. And then when we hit this wall in this run, in this especially if it's a, an ultra-marathon... ...the 96 kilometers, if you're running that marathon... Often you hit the wall. You know, it is, runners will tell you, and I've been a, a runner in my life, and they will tell you, don't stop. When you hit the wall, keep walking. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are going through the struggle, if you don't, cannot make sense of the stuff that you are going through, I want to tell you this morning, in all of this, don't give up on the race. Just put one heavy foot in front of the other heavy foot, and walk forward because I can tell you something else. As you walk this race, and someone else, someone is going to al- walk alongside you. If you've done the Two Oceans Marathon or you've done the Comrades, often if you're running for a club, when you're struggling, the guys, if you're running, say for August, you're running for Pinelands or for Edgemead, the guys who are running, also running that race will often say, Hey, Edgemead, hey, Pinelands, keep running, man, keep going. And I want to tell you today, this morning, dear friend, if you're going through your struggle, there's going to be someone, as I said, put that heavy leaded foot ahead of the other. There's going to be someone that's going to come alongside you and say, my brother, my sister, just keep walking. So I want to get into the the scripture right now before I get carried away too far with the introduction. Can we get Romans 12, please? and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, regarding this race, this race we run in this world, but the um, you know the prize for this race, or the day when we're going to be receiving the crown for this race, that is for eternity. We run this race on this earth, but we are running for eternity. And I want to encourage you in this. The, the scripture, can I leave it up? Can we go back to verse one, please, Dylan? It says, Therefore, Now that little word, therefore, actually when Martin read that scripture in Matthew 6, that word, therefore, came up twice. It says, therefore, don't be anxious. And uh, there was another place where it came up. Now that little word, therefore, is a joining word. It's a connecting word. It connects you with what had happened before in chapter 11, where it speaks about the men and women of faith, those patriarchs that suffered for God, and many of them They did not receive their crown of glory. And and now that little word, therefore, whenever you read the word of God, especially in the epistles, Paul often uses that little word, therefore. There are many scriptures that says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He could just as well have said, if any man be in Christ, but he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if we love with him, we will also reign with him. There are so, so many scriptures that uses that little word, therefore. And that little word, therefore, as I said, it's a joining word or a connecting word. It's not a filler. In the Bible, the Word of God says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, so that we may know how to live. So that little word, therefore, is not a filler. You know, often we use words when, in, our, in our conversation. We use words like basically, or we use words like, you know what I mean? We use words like, as I was saying, you know, those are all fillers, but not so in the word of God. That word, therefore, is very significant because it links chapter 11 with chapter 12, and it also takes us further through into chapter 12. So just a, a tip when reading God's word, when you come across that word, therefore, every time you come across when you read, especially in the epistles, it comes up lots and lots and lots of times. So whenever you come across that word, therefore, as you are reading and, and trusting God to speak into your life, ask the Holy Spirit to explain to you why that word therefore is therefore. What is it therefore? You know, so whenever you see that word, therefore, ask yourself, what is it there for? And you'll see how the Holy Spirit will start speaking into your life. You know, I'm pretty sure if I asked this question. How many of you this week had gone to Google for an answer? Search Google for an answer. There's just about everyone, almost. A lot of the oldies may not have, but most of the young people obviously have been there. Now, you know, every time you go to Google for an answer... You know, Google is actually searching you. You search for an answer, but Google is actually reviewing and searching you. My son showed me this the other day. My son is in marketing, in digital marketing, and he showed me, and I said, Shane, how is it that what you are doing, what you are marketing, reaches people, and how does it actually work? And he showed me he's got a a program on his laptop, and he showed me. He said, Dad, look at this. Whenever people, um, they search for this word, that, that, then someone, or uh, uh, Siri or someone is searching you, is actually doing a profile on you. So as you read God's word, why don't you and I, when we read God's word, say, God, why don't you and I read your word for an answer? Why don't you read me and show me what is it that I need to do to, live this, to run this life better, to run this race better? And as I said, That little word, therefore, is there for a purpose. And it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that ensnares us. And let us run with endurance this race said before us. There are two small little words there as we are running this race that I want you to take notice of. There's the word weight. It says, let us lay aside every weight. And sin. Now, I want to, want to just explain that weights are not sin and sin is not weight. They are two completely different things as we run this race of faith. Sin is sin. You and I know when we are sinning as we are running this race. You know when you have stolen something. You know when you have lied. You know when you are having an affair, or you know when you are watching pornography, or you know when you are doing something, you know sin, you can identify sin, and sin hampers you, ensnares you, slows you down in this race of faith, but then there's something else that is a lot more subtle, but it also slows, slows us down. It's, it's called the weight. Now, weights are very innocuous, or they, they camouflage themselves very well. We are We, there's the weight, you know, let me explain some of the weights that we have in our life as we run this race. The weight of making promises, the weight sometimes of procrastinating, the weight sometimes of just speaking harshly when we should not. You know, as parents, sometimes we are busy and our kids ask us for something and we just don't pay attention to the way we answer them. You know, often these weights are not so much what we say. It is more how we say it. And these weights, they will, they will hamper you. They will slow you down and me, obviously, because as I speak to you, as I said in the beginning, we are also going through, through some stuff. So I know when I'm, when I'm talking to you, when I'm having this conversation with you, I'm speaking as much to myself as I am to you also. So often how we say things hamper us, slows us down. In this race of faith that we are involved in, and if we are expecting that eternal crown one day, then we must pay attention to how we run this race. Against some of these weights, as I said, they are so camouflaged that we do not see them. In fact, they are blind spots in our lives. And what we need, we need others to um, others that we are accountable to, to sometimes show this to us. To um, to sometimes reveal this to us, to say, you know what, David, the way you spoke there or the way you ignored me, and the number of times that I've given phone calls to you and you've never reciprocated, you've never called back. Sometimes I need people to, whom I'm accountable to say to me, listen, actually I love you, but actually how you are treating me is actually not cool. Can you change that maybe? Can you perhaps just pay attention to that maybe? You know, I, I find sometimes some of the weights like we, we we speak to people here in the congregation, and I'm speaking to you, but you know, I'm not paying attention to you because my eyes are somewhere else. I'm looking at the other person that's more important than you right in front of me, and I'm really not paying all of that attention to you. So those are some of the weights. As I said, they are so camouflaged, they are so hidden, that more often than not, we don't even know that we are doing these things, and that is why... We need people that we love and trust to point them out to us sometimes, to tell us about it so that we can change, so that we can stand before God one day and, um, and he can say to us, well done, you've run this race well. You've kept the course. You've stayed on track. You've run according to the rules of your race. And hence, here is the crown of righteousness for you. Here is the crown of glory for you. And, you know, as I said, as you run this race, there is also, as I've read, there's a great cloud of witnesses watching you and me. There are neighbors, and also, as I said, uh, referring again to that word, therefore, there are people that have gone before. I think of my two grandmothers. I think of my parents. I think of my sister, my elder sister, Loretta, who just under two years ago went to be with the Lord. She would be here and in the morning when I would come in. She would always kiss me on the cheek and say, brother, I love you, and I'm praying for you. And, you know, there are people that have gone before. I look at Abby sitting there, and I know, even as I'm preaching now, as I'm doing this conversation right now, I know a dad, I know Will is looking at me He said, Davey, go for it. Run this race, man. Davey, be encouraged. And I can just sense this, how there are people who have gone before, my dad and my mom. We've gone before encouraging me to keep running this race, to keep staying the course. And I want to tell you, there are a a big cloud of witnesses watching your and my life. And they are encouraging us on this and in this race to keep going when we feel like giving up, when things just don't make sense, when the burden just seems to be so heavy, when the anxiety just seems to be taking over my life. There are people that they're encouraging us. There are people that have gone before. Those patriarchs, those, those people who love you dearly, they have gone before. They're looking sort of over the ramparts of heaven. And they're encouraging you this morning. They're saying, don't give up. And if you can't run anymore, walk. And I'm sorry if I'm raising my voice. It's not because I'm angry. It's because this thing is so important to us. And God is saying to all of us, man, pay attention to what it is that I want to speak to you about. And as I said, you know, I, it says about Jesus, the next verse, looking at our example is not me. Our example is not a man in for this race that you are running. Your example is Jesus. It says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher, some, type, some version says, the author and perfecter. Of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. And so I I want to just uh, move over just to something else quickly as we look unto Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter and finisher of our faith. About uh, uh, 10 years ago, Bridget and I, where we were in Israel over the Passover period, we were there from the Thursday before Good Friday, and we spent 18 days in Israel. And this couple, who conducted the tour in whose home we stayed there in Jerusalem, they are—they when they said to us. In fact, we had um, conversations with them before we went through. And we were quite just a small group. It was just seven of us. And um, the guy John Kruger, he is a theologian, and his wife Amanda, a very prophetic lady and they always, oh, I said whenever a group comes they firstly intercede they firstly pray about this group god what is it that you want to speak to this group about and um, so the the morning of good friday we, we we met with john and amanda and john said these words he says guys every one of you will have an encounter with god during this time you will encounter god during this time This is not a holiday like you go when you go overseas or when you go to other places, and we had been fortunate that we had gone to many places overseas and many beautiful destinations in our time. But John said this is an encounter. This is must, must you must see it as an encounter with God. So I took that to heart, and many other the the seven of us, a lot of them had encounters with God at various places. Like um, the Garden of Gethsemane, or the Tomb, or, or the Upper Room, or just many other places. Many had different encounters with God, but I had an encounter with God not at one of the historical biblical places. I had an encounter with God in a museum. We, Bridget and I, because what John and Amanda said, because we were there for such a long time, we often went out on our own, took the bus. Into Jerusalem to the old city and spend time on our own and we Bridget and I went into into the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem and Bridget as is true to her nature she reads everything she when there's a something a notice whatever to read she's reading it and I'm on my way I'm walking through I'm a visual person I can be satisfied and take in in a visual way what the exhibits are, and whatever, so I 'm walking through, and I come to this one exhibit, and remember I 'm saying that I stopped there where it says there that that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame, and I came to this one exhibit that that rocked my world like nothing else, it affected me in a way like nothing had affected me in any way before. I came came to this exhibit. Bridget was still coming on behind. And I was standing here. And at this exhibit, I saw mounds of little children's glasses and mounds of little children's leather booties. These were the children that had gone into into the gas chamber and died. And God touched, the Holy Spirit touched my life there. And I said, God, I cannot understand how anybody... Can be this cruel? How anybody can be this callous? How anybody can do anything this horrible to a child? And the Holy Spirit said, uh, showed me in the in the the picture of Jesus Christ when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He said, "Father, if it is possible, if this cup can pass from me, if I don't have to go to the cross, let it happen." But He said, "Nevertheless, Father, not my will." but yours be done. And often people think that in Jesus' race that he ran. So his race was the cross. That was his race that he had to run. And people often say, and I've heard this preached several times, that the reason Jesus said that to the Father, Father takes this cup from me, is that he was scared of the pain of the cross. There's an element of truth in that, but I don't believe that, is it? I believe that the, the horror that Jesus, the Bible says that he who knew no sin, he had to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, in order for Jesus to be able to know exactly what that little child, the little boy, or that little girl was going through, in order for him to really fully understand what that little child in in that minute, because that little child thought he or she was going in for a shower, And what that little what Jesus was going through when he said, "Father, if this cup passes from me," he had to become that little child in order that he could bring the peace, in order that he could bring the forgiveness, in order that he could bring the 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 tranquility. Whatever that child needs, Jesus had to become that. And this is what he was was shying away from. Not only that, not only the victim. And I was just thinking of another, and I want to be sensitive about this, especially about younger girls that are in this congregation this morning. You know, I was thinking just about this, this children, and I was just thinking, God, you know, there's some little girls, often we hear about this, where little girls are in bed at night and their daddy climbs under the covers with her. And where their daddy was supposed to... let me compose myself, where that father was supposed to be the the protector of this little child, this father abuses this little child, and in order for this, let me compose myself, in order for this little child to get you know, to get peace and to get uh, a, a balanced life as she, she goes forward in order for this little child to get that. that little, Jesus had to become that. He said in, in, in Isaiah, he said, those waves and billows, they, they compass me. He says that bulls of Bashan, which were, were the, um, the demonic forces, they encompassed him in those three hours of darkness when Jesus hung on the cross You know what happened? God could not look at Jesus. God cannot look at sin. So God had to turn his back on his son and look away. So in those three hours of darkness, Jesus had to become that little girl in order to to bring healing to that little girl's pain and suffering that she had gone through. But you know not only that, Jesus did not only become the victim in order to bring Peace and to bring forgiveness and wholeness to the victim, Jesus also had to become the perpetrator, that horrible guy who opened that valve to allow that gas to flow into that that wall where those people died. That horrible guy that did this. If that guy, five minutes after all of that, people were quiet and died, had said, "Jesus, forgive me," then you know the blood of Jesus Christ had to be powerful enough in order to forgive that horrible soldier in doing that thing. And that dad who violated his daughter, if that dad said, Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ had to become that. He had to become sin. He had to come become this vile thing in order that he could bring the full and free forgiveness over that person who violated his daughter or who did all of these harsh and horrible things. Jesus had to become that in order that the, the Bible, often theologians speak about his death on the cross, referring to it as the vicarious death on the cross. He had to not only be the, uh, the forgiver of sin, but he had to become that. He who knew no sin, he had to become that in order to bring about this amazing salvation and amazing forgiveness for anyone who searches for this today, for anyone who is going through stuff like this this day. And again, I want to say to you, you know what? Maybe, Adam, if you would come up now and um, to land and um, just play um, quietly. Brett's going to be, be um, taking over right now and, and doing some of the um, the ministry time with us. So Jesus had to become that in order that we can have this full and complete salvation. I want to tell you something about the salvation. The salvation that we receive today, the salvation that we are participants or partakers of this morning is absolutely free. It costs you and me nothing to be a partaker of the salvation. But let me tell you something else about the salvation. The salvation is free, but the salvation is free. Is not cheap. It costs Jesus so much in order that I can stand here this morning forgiven. Know that I am, my sins, which were many, are all washed away. I'm standing here this morning, not in my own strength, not in any righteousness of my own, but all because of what he has done. And again, I want to say the salvation is free, but it is not cheap. So don't cheapen the salvation. By thinking I can work for it. You cannot work for it. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It is not of works. Because if it were of any of your works, that verse says further, then we've got something to boast about. I've got you and I, If we are our partakers of the salvation this morning. We cannot boast in it. So it's not about works and grace. But then again, also for some that think I can take this grace as an opportunity to live just the way I want to. We cannot also do that. We cannot also say that because I'm saved by grace, it gives me license to live just the way I want to. That is also cheapening this work of salvation. The salvation is this. An old hymn that we used to sing, must Jesus die upon the cross to set, The sinner free and it says, Yes, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. Jesus died so that there's a that you and I know there's a race and there's a cross that we must run. We must do, we must live this life, we must run this race because ultimately there's a prize one day that we are going to receive if we stay true to this race, if we stay true to him. And again, I want to say, please, if you're going through something really, really hard today. Please just put one heavy foot in front of the next and walk. And I assure you there's going to be someone that's going to be walking alongside of you. I know there are some who lost parents, who lost a wife, who lost loved ones, and some might be going through difficult times of mourning, difficult times of bereavement. But I want to assure you that as you take the step forward, As you take the step this morning in faith, as you walk and run this race. And again, I said, if running is too hard, walk this race. As you walk this race to the Father, there's something amazing that happens. As you walk this race to the Father, the Father is looking out for you. And you know what? You may not be able to run, but I promise you the Father is going to stand up like he did with that prodigal. And he recognizes you. And the Father is going to come running toward you. And not only is he going to come running toward you, he's going to smother you with kisses. He's going to put his robe over your shoulders. He's going to get you to be washed of of all of the dirty stuff on you. The Father is running toward you this morning. My dear friend, please, as I said so many times, you might be going through this thing and you feel like, and I know, looking over the congregation, whom I know so well, I know there are many of you who are, are not giving up on God this morning. You are not. You are going through stuff, but you have not come to the place where you say, God, I'm giving up on you. But again, please, please, I beseech you. I want to, with all of the love that I can master up, I want to say to you, please don't give up the fight. The fight. Stay in the fight. pray when you come please?